Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Israel, you know where I'm going, bro? With the Amalekites, brother. Oh, yeah, that's right. Saul and the Amalekites. Now, now this brother should be convicting to all of us, man, because he's been a Christian just a few years, five years, Israel. I go, 1 Samuel 15. He's like, ooh, I go, you know what it's about? Bam, Amalekites, King Saul. The man of the word, amen? So let's all be men and women of the word. Uh, now, it's interesting. This is, the name of this message is, to obey is better than sacrifice. Amen? And we'll get through the whole chapter. Uh, you say, oh, it's a whole chapter we go through. Yeah. You know, we'll get through the whole chapter. It won't be hard. In fact, I have like only nine pages of notes. Okay? Not 19. A lot of times I have 19 or 24. So <laughs> we're pretty good. Uh, but then when I have shorter notes, I tend to run off on tangents. So either way, it's good, though. First uh, Samuel 15. Uh, now, Understand the context here. God has brought the Jews into the promised land. Amen? God wanted to be their king. They wanted a king like everybody else had a king. And they demanded that God give them a king. And sometimes God will answer your prayers to teach you a lesson. Amen? Then God, after uh, Saul, will give him a king, them a king after his own heart. Right? To show him who he is as king. And that would be a picture of the son of David. That would be King David. The son of David would be Jesus. Amen? Who is God as their king? So there's a whole thing going on here that's really heavy. But he gives them really kind of what they wanted. Uh, And it doesn't work out so well for them. And we read uh, what happens here. And we're not going to go to all the background and so forth beyond which much what I've done said already. But we'll get into some background so you understand what's going on here. Especially when it comes to apologetics and uh, the slaughter of the Amalekites, which, you know, a lot of atheists will say, hey, how come God, you know, commanded the slaughter of all the Amalekites, even the children? You know, who does he think he is? Uh, God can't do it, but we can kill our little babies. But the Creator can't do it, you know. Anyway, chapter 15, verse 1. Then Samuel said, uh, then Samuel the prophet said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek. For what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now the Malachites were pretty wicked, uh, pretty cowardly in the way they did their warfare. They picked off stragglers in the back and so forth. You don't want to be a straggler when you're following Jesus. It's easier for the enemy to pick you off. Amen? You want to be front and center following Jesus. Amen? Amen. And we read in verse 3, Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now we know, you'll remember that the Lord had already commanded them when they came into the land of Israel that they were supposed to take the entire land of Canaan, right? The boundaries are far bigger than what you see right now in Israel. And he gave them good reason, uh, as we see late, we'll see later, to actually take all the people out. And it wasn't just God said, hey, all these, the, all these people, and you can't think of, you know, society today, although our society is becoming plenty wicked, but the Amalekites were incredibly wicked. And we'll talk about how wicked they were in a little bit. But uh, they were incredibly wicked beyond, think of some of those wicked people you know and then multiply that by hundreds of thousands or possibly tens of thousands or more. We don't know exactly how many people uh, they, they had and how many of them were just, but they were ruthlessly wicked. And, I mean, and we'll get into that a little bit, but he calls them to basically wipe them all out. Now, first of all, he's God. Amen? Amen. The Bible says there's one lawgiver that's able to save 
and destroy in the book of James. It's his right to take life. Amen? God created us. And it's interesting, but some will look at this and say, well, we really don't understand why he did it. And, you know, and they'll, they'll quote Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Or we see through a glass darkly, we don't understand why God had this done, but we just trust him. Well, you know, that's an okay answer, but it's not a great answer. Okay. Uh, yes, for sure, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We see through a glass darkly. We don't understand things that he does. We definitely need to rely on those types of scriptures. Amen? Amen. But in this case, God gives us very good reasons as to why this took place. And by the way, when you're witnessing to people uh, on the streets, if they're skeptics or they're hardened atheists or militant atheists, uh, this not invariably, but often will come up. They'll often use, oh, how come God said, you know, kill the Amalekites or the Canaanites and so forth. And, and oftentimes those people that are actually asking that question already know the answer but don't want to accept it. And oftentimes pretend they don't know there's a really good answer for it, you know. And they'll be the same folks that will defend killing over 60 million babies, which has been authorized by our U.S. government, by the way. Now, it's interesting. Uh, you don't want to just shrug your shoulders and say, well, you know, we see through a glass darkly. His ways are higher than our ways. You know, that we'll find out when we get to heaven. No, he, he speaks to us on this issue. And I'll return to this uh, more than, you know, at least more than one time during this message as we get into this. But first of all, we need to understand that our children belong first and foremost to us. Amen? So uh, if our children were to die, God forbid, that's been one of, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, concerns as a dad and sure, if you're a parent or a mom, that you'd have in your life. Amen? My first and greatest concern should be for all of us is that we know the Lord. Amen? But after that, man, it's my family, you know, and then my, my church family, you know, and our well-being and so forth in the Lord, our, brother, and our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know. And then also the lost. You don't want them to perish and so forth. So, uh, but one thing that makes it a bit easier for you is you realize that God is ultimately in control. Amen? That he's sovereign that death doesn't end it here, you know? And you also understand that in Ezekiel, he says the fathers and the sons, the children, they belong to me. They're God's children before they're our children, amen? And when Job lost his children, he said the very thing that he feared had come upon him, you know? What did he say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He prays and worships the Lord. And you always have to have that in your heart. I just, by way of just application of just a principle that I'm not getting from this text exactly, but in, it's throughout the scripture. I'm quoting a lot of scripture for you on this is you need to tuck away in your heart that when tragedies happen, you have to keep in mind God is on the throne. Amen. You have to keep in mind that all wickedness will be dealt with by the Lord. Amen. He already dealt with it on the cross, but also deal with it in the final judgment for those who refuse to repent. And you have to also uh, keep in mind that he loves your children who are his children first, far more than you love your children. And I learned that as a new Christian. You should know that. Jesus said, if you being evil to his own disciples, not to give gift, good gifts to your children, how much more will the, how much more, how much more we Father in heaven give them good gifts, amen? amen? A mother might forsake the child at her breast, but that's not how I am, the Lord says. I won't forsake you like that. So he, so he loves them way more than we do. And we can't act as though we are the primary in their lives, that we're the most important. He has to be before us. We're supposed to love him more than our 
wives, more than our parents, more than our children. Amen. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. And a man's foes or enemies shall be they of their own household. And mother will be against daughter, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Matthew chapter 10. Amen. And the sword is a sword of his word, not a physical sword. But you know, uh, you'll be tested. Sometimes you'll get denied by family members because you follow Jesus. But Jesus has to be first. Amen. Amen. Some of you will get denied because you don't follow the religion we were brought up with. How many people grew up in a cult or they grew up in Roman Catholicism? And then when they were leaving it, a lot of people got ticked off, a lot of the family members. And you said, no, man, I see the gospel as salvation is a free gift by grace through what Jesus did on the cross and not by keeping the seven sacraments, not by merits that I build up for purgatory, not by burning in purgatory first, but it's salvation is by grace through faith. And, and, I, and I love his word and I follow his word. And, and I don't care if I'm rejected and not invited places, but I'm putting Jesus first. We have to put Jesus first. Obedience is better than sacrifice, okay? And we need to make sure that we're obeying the Lord. And that's a serious thing, folks. It really, really is. Now, it's interesting. He's having them put the Amalekites to death. But it wasn't as though the Amalekites were just like, what, we should be doing right and we're doing wrong? Oh, no. No, they had plenty of time. The Amalekites were one of many groups among the Canaanites, okay? And the Canaanites were a very, 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 very wicked they're, they're even wicked in Abraham's day. And what God had promised that he gave, made a promise to give Abraham the land, huge amount of land, more than what, I say, as I said, makes the boundaries of Israel to this very day. And they will have more in the millennial kingdom, of course. Uh, long before this took place, go back now, just go to Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Look what we read in Genesis 15 when God makes a promise to Abraham. He tells them it's going to be about 400 years before he's going to bring them into the promised land, or I should say his descendants in the promised land. Listen to what he says. God said to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Oh, that was prophesied. That was fulfilled. Amen. Egypt. Amen. Where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But it will also judge the nation whom they will serve. That happened. These are all prophecies that were fulfilled. And afterwards they will come out with many possessions. That happened as well. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. That happened. Abraham's a bosom. Okay. Uh, and you will be buried at a good old age. That certainly happened. Sarah died before him. He even remarried when he was, I think he was 130 something to a gal that would almost 100 years younger. Okay. Then in fourth. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, not yet reached its limit, not yet fulfilled. The idea here is that the Amorites were wicked, okay? But he says for the iniquity, the sin, the wickedness of these Amorites, which was strong, it wasn't to the point where God needed to absolutely judge them yet. Isn't that heavy? So how much time is he going to give them to get right? but they're not going to. 400 years. Is that a lot of time to repent? Yeah. So we see the Lord God be merciful there. So keep in mind, when somebody says, oh, look what he did to the Canaanites. Do you know what the Canaanites were doing? Do you know how wicked they were? Do you know how much time the Lord gave him? We see in the book of Leviticus uh, what happened in regard to the Canaanites. The land was defiled. So I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 25. God owns the land. It's his land. Okay? They got involved in all kinds of perversion. 
And he says to the, the Israelites, when they go into the land, if you practice the abominations that they're practicing, the land will vomit you out as well. And he says in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 18, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, human baby child sacrifice, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, all that's being in league with the devil, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Now, the Lord was concerned that they would imitate those practices. Now, what do you think would have happened had the Israelites moved into the land of Canaan and not wiped out the wicked people that were already wicked, even in Abraham's day, but for 400 years they became increasingly wicked to where it became codified as to how to emulate their gods was to, was to molest children and to sacrifice uh, their children as old as four years old even to these gods. What do you think would happen if those kinds of folks were all around the Israelites when they moved in the land? Eventually, they would imitate them. In fact, look at the warning we read. Read this in Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, verse 16. It says, In the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Listen to this. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods. And you will sin against the Lord your God. See that? We know exactly why. It's not like, oh, his ways are higher than our ways. We don't know why he said to do this. No, he spells it out for us. Because he gave them time to repent, 400 years. They became exceedingly and increasingly wicked and very, very perverse. Uh, like a dog with rabies, they weren't repenting. And they were going to affect everything around them. And the Lord says, he says to do this because he makes it very, very clear. He says, otherwise they will teach you to follow the detestable things that they do in worshiping their gods. And you will sin against the Lord your God. Now, keep in mind, this is exactly what happened when they didn't kill them all off. Do you remember that? How many times did Israel fall into the sins of their neighbors and worship the same idols? Over and over and over again. You know, there's a principle in the church, and thankfully we don't have, you know, to go through this with church discipline, right? But a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump, amen? And when a church refuses to practice church discipline, and there's people involved in adultery, right, theft, you know, things of that nature, and they're not being dealt with, and in a loving way being called to repent, because you don't have 400 years to wait, and, and they refuse to repent, and you don't do anything about it, and churches wink at that. And most churches, they do not practice church discipline. It spreads throughout the church, and no wonder the church in America is so hypocritical and claims to follow the word of the Lord, claims to follow Jesus, but doesn't follow it. We need to make sure we're obedient. He calls us to obedience, amen? amen. It says he gives his Holy Spirit to all those who obey him. Amen? amen. The, Jesus said, talks about those who uh, obey the Son, the word obedience, I love the word obedience. And maybe it's because after, before I was a Christian, I didn't know what that word meant. I did my own thing. I was a rebel. When I became a Christian, I realized what Jesus did for me. My heart's been since that time by his grace to obey him. Far from perfect, but I love the words like holiness, obedience, you know, being a disciple of Jesus. What a privilege it is to be saved and be in his kingdom. Amen. Now, 
Go ahead and let's pick it up at verse 4. 1 Samuel 15, verse 4. Then we read, Then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart and go down among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you, uh, as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Was he supposed to capture him alive? No. no. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the, and, the, and, and the best of the sheep, the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. And were not willing and were not willing and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Now, it's interesting. He destroys everything, but not utterly, utterly, right? It's kind of interesting how it puts it. I mean, he, he got a lot of them, but not all of it. Okay, then we, it's interesting, we read in verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set up, now check this out. He goes to Carmel and he set up a monument for who? himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. When you sin and you justify it, you disobey God, and on top of that, he sets a monument up to himself. Then he goes down. Well, he's already going down, you know? And that's what sin is, man. It's a monument to self. It's self-pleasing. It's self-serving. And it's ultimately self-destructive, you know? This is very, very sad. He's, he's actually proud of his sin and his uh, it's just heartbreak. He's actually quite sick what he did. In fact, let's look at verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you, the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Is that true? Nope. He's lied right there, man. Just totally lied. And then we read on. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, ah, oh, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now he's talking about, hey, you know what? We, we kept these things for sacrifice. That's what this is about, you know? Well, all these sacrifices ultimately point to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, amen? Now why did God become a man and sacrifice himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because of our what? Sin. Sin. Yet he's compounding the problem making more sins for Jesus to die for. Amen? And obedience is better than his sacrifices. Those were not God's sacrifices. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, it is, not, uh, is it not true, uh, though you were little in your own eyes? He was little in his own eyes. He was humble at first. You were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. 
And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then do you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Wow. Quite sad. Verse 20. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on a mission on which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, the king of, Amal of, of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Wow. But the people took some. But the people, he blames on the people to a degree, took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choice of, choice of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So it's, it's quite amazing because he's lying twice. In the space of a few verses, he continued to lie. And the Lord told him that it was just absolutely heartbreaking to the Lord because he calls this guy to be king. They want a king. He's telling them, I'm your king. They kept crying. He goes, okay, let me show you what happens when I give a man power and you rely on a man. You know, and that's what happens. The Bible says, cursed is the one who puts his trust in men. Amen. David was a far better king, but he wasn't perfect. Amen. And it's ultimately King Jesus that we serve and the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. Now, there's a lot going on here. There's more going on than simply the incredibly wicked people populating the land, but also the infection rate of immorality that even many of them were wiped out. They wiped out many of the Canaanites. But had they left even more, the gangrene, the gangrene of the cancer would have spread even faster throughout the children of Israel, which it did over and over again. We could spend teaching after teaching just on how Israel was corrupted by the people around them. Just think of, we could do a whole teaching on King Solomon. Remember him? Yeah. Married pagan wives and his heart turned to other gods. A king who was, he had a little bit of wisdom, didn't he? Yeah. Think he'd know better, right? Shows you how powerful temptation is. And that's why it's important as Christians, the Bible says, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, amen? The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh. To obey is better than sacrifice. It's important for us as believers that we don't put ourselves in tempting situations and that we don't put our children in tempting situations. You know, I don't believe it's right to allow children or my grandchildren now that I'm getting older uh, to, to just have a remote control and just watch whatever they want to watch, whether it's television or listen to whatever they want to listen to. You're, you're basically might as well give your kid a gun because eventually they're going to shoot themselves spiritually, you know, and it's very, very destructive. So that's why I don't let my children and my kids, well, Holly can have the remote now sometimes, unless, unless the football game's on, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. But no, I, I'm not kidding about what we allow in our homes, you know. Big Jim said, you know, I like that analogy you used years and years ago. I always remember it. I, I, I mentioned something like, how many of you would take your sewer pipe, man, that goes out to the sewage and reroute it in through your window into the home. That would be pretty gross, right? Well, that's what people are doing spiritually every day. They're letting the sewage in, man, and it's defiling them. It's stinking up their, their walks, their, their, their families. You need to be very careful what you watch. I mean, I'm telling you right now, do you think this principle was valid then, but it's not valid now in regard to what we allow to affect us? and encroach in our hearts and what we open up our hearts to. That's why we're called to guard our hearts with all diligence because out of it come the springs of life, amen? In the Bible, Jesus said that the evil that you store up in your heart, a man speaks 
forth from the evil that he stored up in his heart, the evil man. So don't store up evil in your heart. It's just going to come out. It's going to defile your entire life. So it's important that we're separate. It's important that you look at your life. You say, Lord, what do I need to separate myself from? You know, first you need to be wise and say, what's unbiblical? What, what breaks your heart? You know, and then if it's unbiblical, witchcraft. We read a lot about that today, right? Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12. Ouija boards, books that glorify magic. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, it says they burned all their magic, their books on magic. And the price worth of it was 50,000 pieces of silver at church at Ephesus. You know, but you have a lot of professing Christians say, oh, but it's okay to read, read Harry Potter and all that kind of stuff. Even though J.K. Rowling admits that she dictated a lot of that from a voice, you know. Practicing appears the very magic she's writing about glorifying. And then now you have all kinds of kids becoming, getting involved in Wicca, which was a, is a Crowleyan spawned satanic religion. Oh, they're not saying this though. They say, yeah, okay. You know, it's white magic. Yeah, that's exactly what Lester Crowley, or sorry, Anton LaVey, the head of Church of Satan, admitted is the same thing. He said they're just a bunch of hypocrites. He said the same, same power. So yeah, that's what the Bible says. Satan transformed himself into angel of light. So we have to make sure that we're not, because right now, it's in the church. People are just accepting things that are glorified magic all over the place. You're the minority if you're saying no Harry Potter books for me. Sorry, you're in the minority. Oh, well, it's just, it, it's not telling the kids to practice it. It just is making it look cool. Well, these books aren't telling people to practice incest and homosexuality. It's just making it look cool. It's just making it look good. Yeah, exactly. And when it makes it look good, it becomes a slippery slope. Amen. I'm, I'm encouraging you because biblically, we need to take stronger stands than we do. But what we do, the Bible says, not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Don't let the world, conf uh, you know, the, the one translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Amen. I just want to encourage you. Look at your life and say, are you just, oh, it's just a fortune cookie. No, don't even read the fortune cookies, man. You know? I don't know if you even want to eat them anyways either, you know? Some of them are like, I like those round cookies with almond, though. They, those are cool. Anyway, <laughs> tastes a bit better. But uh, sexual practices. Are you watching pornography? Yeah, but I'm not practicing what they're doing. I'm just watching it. What? That's, that's so ungodly. That's sexual sin, and it's glorifying sexual sin. And, and why would you be watching it if it doesn't have an effect on you? Okay? Or why would you be looking at it? Jesus said, you know, it's better to cut your hand off than enter heaven maimed, and enter heaven maimed than to go to hell with your whole body, right? Or to pluck out an eye and go to heaven with one eye than to go to hell with, your, with both eyes. Does he mean literally poke my out? No, he doesn't. How do you know that? Because if you do poke an eye out, you still have another one. And the problem is not your eye, the problem is your heart, right? Yeah. What he's doing is saying be extreme in what you do. Take extreme measures not to be caught in sexual sin. Mm -hmm. Not to let anything cause you to fall, you know? And there's simple precautions you take. It would be a lot easier for me not to have my wife as my secretary in some ways. And for her just to bring up the kids without any work outside of just being a mother, which would be to me the most ultimate job for her, because I think mothers, it's just amazing. But you know what? I was glad she's my secretary. I want you to be my secretary, baby, because I've seen too many, and it's happened after that, right here in Simi Valley, pastors, worship leaders fall with secretaries or women they're close to. Okay? I don't spend time with any women alone, not even five minutes, and by the grace of God. Well, do you think you're so weak you'd fall? No, you know what? I think I'm 
wise enough to know that let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then the minute I say, which I think I'd be fine, but guess what? The minute I'd say that, guess what? Three years goes down the line, I'm in some kind of weird funk, and who knows what could happen? God forbid. But if I see other, if I see King David who is a man after God's own heart fall, who am I to say I would never fall, right? So you learn from those lessons. You say no, you know? You take a, and so you take precautions in your life. And some of the people I'm saying things to right now, you might even be flirting with somebody at work who's not your wife, not your husband, or somebody at a Bible study or somebody that you're getting too close to. And you need to say, no, I need to stop this right now because you're going to destroy a lot of the good that God is trying to do in you and in that person and in their family or your family. God forbid. I remember when the fellowship was just starting, you know, at least I were just talking about this incident. And it was just long before, sometime a year or so before the church had started. There was probably just 12, 15 people in our Bible study. And I was praying, and it burned on my heart that there was someone there. And I didn't know for sure, and I didn't want to make it a prophecy. I said, it's burning on my heart that somebody is, letting, is getting too close to somebody at work. How often do I say that? Very rare, right? Rare as a pastor. It was on my heart so strong. And I'm thinking, this is a strange thing to say because I know all these people, and I don't even know if they work. Some of them, they were young. We were in our early 20s as far as the gals working and, and getting too close to the guy. And I just said that. And a gal uh, that I won't name her, and she's totally innocent in it, but she said, you know what? I can't believe you said that. I've got a brand new job. In the last, I've been there a week and a half or two weeks, and the, the, my boss is getting closer and closer to me. Now he's talking to me, and when he talks to me, he's putting his arm around me talking. And I'm like, you know, and she goes, that's, I got to quit that job. I go, sounds like it, you know, you know, it's her decision. I lorded over her and she got out of that job. But you, yeah, that, I believe that was the Holy Spirit just during my prayer time, you know. And I'm not one of those ones, you know, I'm not one of those guys. I have a word of knowledge over and over again. Amen. But God can speak to our hearts and give us a word of knowledge. Amen. That's how the gifts of the Spirit operate. And there's been a number of times he has done that. But we're very cautious about doing that. Because if you have a word of knowledge, and you claim this word of knowledge, it doesn't happen to what you said you thought was going to happen. You was a word of knowledge. Guess what? You can never speak in our fellowship again claim you have a word of knowledge. You need to repent of that then. And you're, you're off. Okay? So we have to be very careful with these things too. But the Lord, Holy Spirit will speak to us. I can't tell you how many times, and I just pray and seek the Lord, and then I get a message. I can't tell you how many times people come up to me afterwards over and over and over again. Or a lot of times it's like, you were speaking straight to me, right, weren't you? I go, no, well, maybe God was, you know. I remember, Annie, remember you brought your friend from the Knolls? <laughs> uh, and I still laugh about it because I didn't know she was coming because she called Annie right before the service, right, Annie? She said, can you pick me up? And she was pretty antagonistic toward faith. And then she comes, so I didn't even know she was coming. Annie, not that we set something like that up, but if, but Annie would have had time to call me. She calls and she told Annie, you told him everything about me. You told him this, right? I can't believe you did that. Da, da, da. And Annie goes, wait a minute. I wasn't even going to bring you to church today. You know, Annie talks, you called me up. You know, what do you think you're saying? <laughs> yeah, you know, so, but, but we all have to deal with things because the Holy Spirit, God loves us. Holy Spirit will check us individually too. And we have to make sure he wants us to be obedient and to seek his face. And we want to make sure. And some of the scriptural references where uh, the very thing that God warned them about happened because they didn't do away with the wicked. Judges chapter 2, 1 through 3. 1 Kings eleven five. if you're taking notes. Uh, 14, 24, 1 Kings. 2 Kings 16, verses 1 through 4. Now, 
You can go to Israeli museums and you can see the pagan artifacts of the worship of the false gods throughout the land of Canaan that the Israelites had turned to. It's a historical fact, not only in scripture, but and so forth. Now, what God were they worshiping? And this is very important to get this. What God were they worshiping in the Canaanites for the most part? Baal or Baal. That's right. They were worshiping Baal, okay, who was the storm god. And you know, Baal, the storm god, uh, he had sex with his sister, according to the archaeological. Now, keep in mind, he's a false god. He's not even real, okay? A demon god. He's, the demon behind him is probably very real. But their mythology says that he had sexual relations with his sister 77 times, okay? Even 88 times, okay? That he, not just sex, he raped her 88 times, okay? He had sex with his mother, Asherah, repeatedly at the suggestion of his dad, okay? Uh, he had sex with his daughter, Pidre, over and over and over again, his own daughter. Now, what people do is they emulate their gods. We're called to emulate, em, uh, we were created in the image of God, and we're supposed to, Jesus says, I've given you an example, amen? Jesus, the Bible says, be holy as he is holy. Not perverted, these gods are perverted. Be, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, Jesus said, amen? Well, these guys emulated their gods, Think about it. And if your God's like that, what are you doing? Whew. I mean, it's pretty disgusting. We're talking about the Canaanites here. I'm trying to give you an understanding of how wicked they were. Now, it's crazy when you think about this, guys, because we, 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 we walk around sometimes, you know, with bracelets. You don't see them much anymore. They come and go, but WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Okay. They walked around with bracelets. What would Baal do? Okay. Not literally, but that was their mentality. Want to be like Baal. Amen? That's how they thought. And that's exactly what the Bible warns happens when you worship idols. You become like the idols. Hosea 9.10 says, I found Israel grapes like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits of the fig tree in the first season. But they went to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to shame. So they became as detestable as the thing they loved. That's the word of God making it very clear that Baal who, you know, that these wicked gods, okay, Baal was Lord, meant Lord, and they had a chief Lord, but they were becoming like the very gods they worshiped. Psalm chapter 115 verse 8 says, those who make idols become like them, so do all who trust in them. Wow, there it is again. They become like them. Psalm 135 verse 18, those who make Make them, meaning the idols, become like them, as you all who trust in them. You have it again in that, in that verse. Same deal. So what was going on in regard to the worshipers of Baal? We know from the scripture. We know from archaeological evidence. We know from ancient historians that the people, the Canaanites, were incredibly wicked and incestuous and having sexual relations with one another. Uh, they were, but they did more than that. They sacrificed their children. They killed them to their gods. Okay, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17, written by Moses, right? They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God. Gods they had not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. Psalm 106, verse 37. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. 
1 Corinthians 10, 20, Paul says, no, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. It was still going on in Paul's day, not so much the human sacrifice, although some of the, uh, it still went on and it still goes on to this day with some groups like Satanists, some Satanists. Oxford professor, uh, Oxford professor John Day stated or wrote, quote, in fact, we have independent evidence that child sacrifice was practiced in the Canaanite or Carthaginian and Phoenician world from many classical sources, from many classical sources, Punic inscriptions and archaeological evidence as well as Egyptian depictions of the ritual occurring in Syria, Palestine, and from a recently discovered Phoenician inscription in Turkey. There is therefore no reason to doubt, there is therefore no reason to doubt the biblical testimony to Canaanite child sacrifice. Classical archaeologist and UCLA researcher Shelby Brown writes, quote, the longevity of child sacrifice, UCLA researcher Shelby Brown, uh, classical archaeologist, the longevity of child sacrifice and the tenaciousness with which uh, Carthaginians and other Phoenicians adhered, and these were all the Canaanites, many that made the Canaanite peoples, adhered to the practice uh, despite their frequent uh, contacts with neighbors who abhorred them, for it, uh, for it suggests that the ritual was crucial to Phoenician religion and to the well-being of a city and its inhabitants. Remember when the Phoenician woman came to Jesus and she wanted Jesus to cast a spirit out of her what? Daughter. Daughter. Because the witchcraft, the incest, the child sacrifice, the worship of demons, many of the kids were getting possessed and so forth. So in one hand, God created the Created, created them, but they became evil. They filled up the measure of their wickedness for 400 years. Then when they went, back into the, they went back into the promised land with Moses, they didn't get rid of them. So that wickedness just continued. And it got worse and worse. And actually, it's like, well, what about the babies that died in the flood? Well, is there, the Bible teaches that there's an age of what? Accountability, amen? So any child before the age of accountability that wasn't willingly rebelling against God would not be sentenced to Hades or the lake of fire. Okay? That's obvious to anybody who knows the scripture. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that he did not become guilty of breaking God's law until he was aware that he was rebelling against God's law. And he said he had life until the law came and became aware of it. Then the law slayed him. Amen. Shelby Brown continues and states uh, that that there's a whole lot of evidence that thousands of children were victims, but that, quote, modern scholars are perhaps overly eager, listen to what he says, modern scholars are perhaps overly eager to exonerate the Phoenicians from a, quote, crime in our eyes, that by Phoenician standards, it was simply not an offense. Wow. So modern scholars, well, why do these modern scholars don't have morality, obviously? Oh, what was an offense? They deny that there's a conscience. Many of them are determinists, you know, evolutionists, Darwinists, and so forth. So they, and, and they probably excuse their own sin. And I'm sure many of them do. Uh, Brown goes on to state, quote, no other, no other, no other ancient people, however, regularly chose their own children as sacrificial victims or equated them with animals which could sometimes be substituted for them. The Phoenician practices indicate a definition of the family and the boundaries belonging to it and alienation from it what, that was incomprehensible to others in the ancient Mediterranean. Even, the, even in the rest of the Mediterranean world, people didn't think like these guys did. And Israel kept it going. Okay. Now, it's interesting by not, by not dealing with it. And so it's horrific. So when somebody says, well, what about the Canaanites? You say, do you know who the Canaanites were? 
Do you know what they did? Do you know what they did to their kids? They molested them over and over again. They sacrificed them to demons. There's a demonic world that the non-believers don't even understand. Now, and by the way, the tragedy is those kids grow up. What do they become like? Usually like their parents, perpetuating the same abuses. Okay, there was also Moloch. You've heard of Moloch, right? So you read about Baal, but Moloch was a Canaanite god, but he was the god of the underworld, you know, like Hades for the Greeks, you know? Uh, and he was god of the under, underworld. And to worship him, uh, they, he was rep- uh, represented by a bullheaded god, which is kind of interesting because the four different heads, uh, the four different faces on the cherubim, you've got the face of the eagle, the face of the man, right? Face of the lion and the face of a, a bull. And I think it's interesting when you go through Ezekiel and read those four faces. Though one time I thought it was just tripped me out. I'm like, wow, it says these four faces. It says all, all of them, but it doesn't, say, it doesn't say the bull for one face. It should say bull. You think it's going to say in the face of a bull, it says in the face of a cherub. Oh, yeah. and that, it's, that's interesting. Does that mean that the main essence of the four faces that, that is the bull? And it's just interesting because they were making a golden calf, right? The Israelites fell into worship. Uh, and then the god of the underworld is a bull-faced god, Moloch. And it's interesting, bull-headed idol with a human body, by the way. And what would happen is they would fill his belly, his belly with wood and, and get the fire going. He had the outstretched arms. Uh, and then they'd burn their children to death. In fact, Plutarch, okay, he's an ancient Greek historian and philosopher. And he talks about, I mean, he was like around near Christ time. Uh, he says that during the Phoenician or the Canaanite, when we talk about Phoenician and Canaanite, same people, okay, the, uh, regarding their sacrifice, he says, quote, the whole area, the whole area before the statue was filled with loud noise of flutes and of drums so that the cries and the wailing should not reach the ears of the people. So he had really loud music so you couldn't hear the children screaming when they were being sacrificed. No wonder God put this to an end. Amen? Now, Clitarchus, he was one of the historians of Alexander the Great. His dad was a very famous historian. He states that the Phoenicians and the Carthaginians honored Kronos. Wherever they went, they would pray to this God for success. And when they got success, they would... It, they would celebrate this success by sacrificing their children uh, to their god, Kronos. And they'd burn their children. And uh, the limbs would be, you know, the way it's described by Catarchus, which is pretty gross, but he says the limbs would be outstretched, they'd shrivel, and the, the, the flesh would disappear, and it looked like the child was smiling, then he'd be sucked into the god. Really sick stuff. So understand what's going on here when you read these things. If you don't understand the background, you don't have to say just, well, you know what? His ways are higher than our ways. We don't understand why he did this. No, we can understand perfectly well why he did this. Okay? Because these were incredibly wicked people. Let's go to verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Samuel said to uh, Saul, of course, has the Lord as much, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Now, why is to obey better than sacrifice? Because these sacrifices are not uh, authorized by the Lord and obedience, there wouldn't need to be sacrifice if there was obedience, amen? Amen. 
And he says in verse 23, for rebellion is as a sin of divination. Divination is a sin whereby you uh, get involved with demons, demonic entities. You, you just open yourself up to be in league, to traffic with the demonic realm. And when you rebel and you disobey the Lord, guess what happens when you're rebelling the Lord? You're basically following the first rebel. Satan is a father of, uh, is a murderer from the beginning. He's a father of lies. He sinned, that Jesus said from the beginning, John 8, 44. And when we sin and disobey the Lord, we're basically joining Satan at that moment. And it's a very, very serious thing. For rebellion is as a sin of divination and insubordination as an iniquity and idolatry because we're basically worshiping Satan, the father of lies at that point. You can erect any spirit and follow that spirit, any statue and say, hey, I'm just worshiping the statue. No, ultimately you're worshiping Satan in the demonic world because they're the ones that are heading up this rebellion, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. You can't backslide and say, I'm backsliding, but you know, I'm, I'm a good backslider. No. Jesus says, he that's not with me is against me. You're either for Christ or antichrist. Stick to Jesus, man. Because you know what? You'd much rather be a person who never knew the Lord because it's better to not have known the Lord, it says, than after knowing him, to fall away. Okay? Be better not to have known him in the first place, it says. It's very serious stuff. So we need to be very sincere in our walks with the Lord. And be, we need to be obedient. James 1, through 25 says this, but prove yourselves doers of the word. And not merely hearers who delude themselves. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves, it says in the King James. A lot of people are deceiving themselves. There are millions of people that go to church every Sunday, you guys. But then they're, but the Saturday night, right before Sunday, they're at Hooters, you know? I was in Texas recently, so I saw a lot of Hooters as we drove by. Didn't go and visit them, but I'm driving by, I'm like, we're talking, wow, there's Hooters everywhere, you know? Hooters and Whataburger, okay? Uh, guys, you cannot live a double life. And we know this is true because we'll witness to people all the time and they'll claim to be Christians and they'll be fully drunk, you know? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's the law of Christ, that word we have, not the Old Testament law, law of Christ, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You want to be blessed in your life? Obey. You want to obey first and foremost because our God is our creator, amen, and he made us, amen. You want to be obedient as well because he loves you and he redeemed you by the precious blood of Christ, amen, and we love him because he first loved us. But somewhere down the line, you also got to keep in mind that you're going to destroy your life by disobedience. And that's right up there with these other ones, but right up there somewhere down the line is the fact that God rewards you and blesses you. He says, you'll be blessed in what you do. How many want to be blessed? Obey the Lord. How many want to be cursed? Just rebel against the Lord. Okay? As his disciples and followers of Christ, we, have to, we need to follow his examples. And you know what the key is? The key isn't this drudgery. Okay, what are all the 613 things that God wants me to do to keep the law of Moses? No. Man, we, we obey him because we love him. I treat my wife nice because I love her. Okay? I'm like, oh, I can't believe she wants me to take out the trash. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it, you know? Well, when it's raining out and she orders me to, I might say, hey, baby, can you ask? No. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's gonna be a, quite a winner for us, hopefully. But what, would, what do we do? We, we love each other, and we love each other. We care. I love my children. I can't believe I have to change their diapers. 
In my case, my grandchildren now. No, we care for them, amen? When you love God, it's not hard to obey him because you love him. And how could you not love the one who gave you your very existence, the one who made you unlike any other person he's made? You have your own fingerprint. He's given you these beautiful senses, and they're not even all turned on yet. You're going to be blown away when, when you just are resurrected and you have your new body and there's no more Satan. There's no more flesh to contend with. There's no more temptation. Amen? Amen. What a blessing that will be. I mean, we'll even be able to he'll catch us up. We'll meet him in the air. We'll fly back with him. Amen? Yes. That's going to be pretty cool Amen. to have little spirit motorized bodies, however that works. You know, you won't be thinking, I want to drive a Ferrari. You'll be like, that Ferrari is a piece of junk. I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but it's beyond what you dream or think, though. That's what my Bible tells me. It's beyond, and eye has not seen, the ear has not heard what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. So we're obedient to him because he loves us and he made us. And we should be even more obedient because he redeemed us. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen? The Bible says to glorify God in your body because you're bought with a price. And you're not bought with just any ordinary price. You weren't bought with futile things, the Bible says, like silver and gold, which are so esteemed in the world. That's why he picks them. Because this is nothing compared to the precious blood of Jesus that cleanses you from your sin. Because silver and gold will not get you into heaven. You'll be roasting forever. Okay? But it's through Christ's sacrifice and what he did that we are forgiven. And we should just, our hearts should just melt before the Lord. Like, I can't believe how good you are. Lord God, I can't believe how much you love me. I can't believe you made me. I, I can't get my brain around any of it, you know? How does he do that? He gave us our own consciousness and awareness. It's just so beyond us. And you should be dumbfounded and say, Lord, why would I ruin this? And everything is seen. Everything's recorded. We're being watched daily. Our hearts are being examined from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we go to sleep. Okay? And while we're asleep even, what we do with our dreams or our nightmares and how we react to them. Because all this, a lot of it's testing going on. Okay? Even in your dream life, in, in your nightmare life, and the way the enemy tries to attack you, you need to cry out to God all the time. But you need to, we should obey God just by the fact that he created us. But the fact that God became a man and died for us, that should make us just really love him. Amen? Jesus said, he that's forgiven much, what? Loves much. He said that in the context of a woman who was washing his feet with her tears. And the Pharisees couldn't understand it. Because... They didn't want to admit their sin. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That we've all blown it. That if we were in Canaanite society, we'd probably go along with the flow and be involved in some real wickedness. But God has grace and mercy, man. Here you are today. And if we love him, the scriptures are real clear we'll obey his commandments. And that's why I emphasize holiness, but you know what I emphasize probably more just about anything besides the Lord's love for us is our need to love him back and reciprocate that love. He's the one that deserves to be loved. Amen? Amen. We deserve to be punished. And the reason I emphasize love so much in both ways is because we love him because he first loved us because guess what? That's reality that we need to face. And when we face that reality, it causes us, when we understand the cross, that's why I teach on typology and pictures of the cross in the Old Testament, pictures of Christ over and over again, to show you the lengths that God goes to show you his love story, to show you how much he loves you, 
to show you what he's done, to show you that he spent time and details trying to get you to understand how much he loves you and showing what he went through on the cross. And we talk about that because the more you understand he loves you, the more you appreciate your forgiveness and the more you appreciate the atonement and the more you want to obey him and glorify him with your life. Listen to these scriptures that tie obedience into your love relationship with the Lord. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll obey him. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who, does, the one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. John 14, 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Catch that? When some of you say, man, I just haven't followed the Lord lately. Well, that person's not following the Lord anymore. You're they're, they're back. Saying, well, deep down they love the Lord. No, they don't. I'm sorry, they don't. Not if they're in rebellion to God. They're not, they don't love the Lord. They might have loved the Lord, but the Bible warns about leaving your first love. The Bible warns that, that the love of many will grow cold. Amen? Amen? And don't let that happen. Okay? And that happens with the increase of lawlessness. So there's, so there's been an increase of lawlessness. You know how many Christians have fallen away perhaps during COVID because they were no longer working in an idle mind and idle hands or a playground for the devil? And they were watching all kinds of junk during COVID instead of getting the word and being in fellowship, at least in some kind of way, and staying in the word. And they watched all kinds of junk. And guess what? They're not in fellowship anymore. They don't plan on going back. But they, they just allowed their hearts to, to get hardened. And they fell out of love with the Lord. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Wow. 1 John 2, 3, by this we can be sure that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And know him, there is no is in the perfect tense. By this we can come to understand that we have come to know him and continue to know him if we what? If we keep his commandments. I love this, 1 John Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, I love this second part a lot too. For this is the love of God that we what? Keep his commandments. You want to show God your love for him? Keep his commandments. Well, I'm good until the weekend comes. Then you don't love God? Well, then maybe you just don't have opportunity to show that you don't love God because you're able to get drunk on the weekend or whatever it is, man. Stay away from sin, man. Hate sin. Okay? Clay Jones had a, a, a great declaration that the reason we don't understand why God did this to the Canaanites is because we don't hate sin. You know? If we hate sin, we'd understand, and we, we had a holy hatred for sin, we'd understand why God did this to the Canaanites. Second John, chapter one, verse six, if you want to call it a chapter, says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the very commandment you have heard from the beginning, that you must walk in love. So obeying his commandments is, is to show that you love him. If you love him, you obey his commandments, but you walk in love, it becomes a habit, Amen. Now, none, have, none are perfect. We know that. First John, he says, he that's born of God does not, and it's in the perfect tense, he that's born of God and continues to be born of God does not practice sin. Amen? 
Now some read that and they say, if I'm born of God, I can't believe I've sinned, I've fallen short. It doesn't mean you won't fall short because the same book which emphasizes much of what I'm talking about right now also says he that says without sin is a liar, the truth is not in him, amen? And it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, amen? So he wants us to understand that it doesn't mean that you're not going to fall short, but what the scriptures do mean is that sin is no longer going to be the, the, the rule of your life. You're not going to just be in rebellion to God and be to walk around and say, I'm a Christian. And right now, you have millions of people, you and I both know it, and you know them too, some of them, who claim they're Christians but are in total rebellion to God. And this is what the scriptures warn about over and over again. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And read the rest of the chapter. Then Saul said, verse 24, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have intended, I, I, I've indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now David blew it at times, but man, he wasn't a wimp spiritually like that. We're just vacillated back and forth over and over again and feared people. Now therefore, please pardon my sin. And I don't believe it was just the people, by the way. Remember, he put a monument up to himself. Remember, he lied about it and didn't want, at least twice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the, of the, of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Verse 29. And the glory of Israel will not lie or change his, I'm sorry. And the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Look at, he wants honor. He's more concerned about the, the, the ramifications then breaking God's heart then rebelling against God. So Samuel went back and followed, I'm sorry, verse 31. So Samuel went back following Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel, Samuel said, bring me Agag. This is interesting, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death, death is past. He's trying to get out of it, right? But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag into pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. He made sure he followed through with it. He made sure not, he made sure he's dead. He goes, I'm going to make sure I fully obey the Lord in this. Verse 34, then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house at Gilgal of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. For Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's a sad verse right there. You know? May we not cause the Lord regret in his heart. He knows the future, okay? But it doesn't mean his heart doesn't hurt, okay? So it's important for us to understand that all this is serious. By the way, did you know that the Amalekites, because he didn't utterly finished them off, you find out later that David and his men are captured by Amalekites. Yes, they are. And you even find that 400 of them, when they end up routing them, escape. I thought he got every one of them, no? 
Oh, and by the way, what happens if you leave these wicked people alive? They're, they're demon-possessed, many of them. They're, they're just as wicked as you can get, okay? You know how bad it was going into Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It was worse than that, okay? You were in trouble. In fact, it's interesting. There's a whole book. Remember the book of Esther? Remember Haman? Remember he tried to wipe out all the Jews like a Hitler in his day? You know what he was, right? He was an Amalekite. Much later in the, in the biblical history. There's a big picture to this. And so often you have, you know, people that don't understand the scripture, don't understand the bigger picture, don't understand the spiritual war that we're in. And by the way, keep in mind, speaking of the big picture, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God said that the seed, right, that would crush Satan's head would come through the woman, right? Mm -hmm. Then God called Abraham, amen? So through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, eventually King David, eventually the Messiah, who would crush Satan's head on the cross, right? Guess what? Satan was always trying to stop that from happening by trying to wipe out the Jews. But he understood it was really hard to wipe them out. He couldn't just wipe them out. Amen? They're the apple of God's eye. So remember what happened when they were in this huge, you know, maybe three or more million cross formation? When all the tribes were lined up and they made a big cross, right? A picture of Jesus. Remember Balaam and Balak? And King Balak was like, curse them, you know? Because that's going to the promised land. And remember, Balak is like, you know, King, or Balaam is prophesying, but the prophecies are boomeranging. He's prophesying prophesying blessing upon them and Balak's tripping out he's like claps his hand what are you doing he goes can't do it it's not and the prophecies weren't coming out that way so remember what he did Jesus talked about the doctrine of Balaam who caused told Balak how to set a stumbling block before the children of Israel remember that yes sir and what did he do go over there and have your women dress scantily you know I'm kind of paraphrasing you know have them shake their booty and seduce them out of that cross formation because we're safe in the cross. And what happened? A lot of those dudes went over there and they whipped out their idols. Hey, they started following their gods. No one can snatch us out of the Lord's hand. Okay, amen? Thank God for that. But you have to make sure you don't walk away. Your heart doesn't get cold. Amen? I was talking to a very, very popular pastor here in town who's not in town anymore years ago. And we were talking about differences in convictions about what the Bible says about falling away. And I said, well, I believe the scripture is really clear. clear." And I went to Luke chapter 12 and I said, look, this is a servant who is a good servant and we're eating Thai food. And I go, look, he's a good servant. He says, and he gives out meat in due season. It says, but if that servant, that good servant, good servant, who's giving out meat in due season, a Christian leader, says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and begins to beat the maidservants and get drunk with the drunkards. And by the way, he is addressing them as little flock. He's talking to the flock, not the non-believers here. Little flock, he says. He says, I'll come at a time when he's not ready, and I'll cut him in pieces. Just like Agag happened to Agag, right? Yes, sir. I didn't bring up Agag in our conversation. And I go, it shows me that a good servant can become wicked. And he said to me, he goes, you know, I have to admit, when I preach, I kind of gloss over those verses that are the warnings. He said it straight to me. I knew he did. I knew that's what they do. You know, and he says, and we're, we teach or we, you know, that or we've been taught or we believe that if you fall away, well, you never were really Christian. He goes, but my wife and I have been talking lately. We've known too many people that really seem to love the Lord that have fallen away. 
So we're really struggling with that whole doctrine right now. Thought, oh, that's, I would praise God for the honesty. Okay, when you look at the scriptures, we are the ones being warned. Those who love Jesus. It's only those who love Jesus who can leave their first love. Amen? Amen. Let's make sure we keep our fire for Jesus. Let's keep our lamps lit. Amen? Amen? And let's make sure we're obedient and we don't compromise in our Christian walks. Amen? And what some of us need, and I think all of us need to one degree or another, is to cry out to the Lord in prayer. You know? And today, my wife walked in me, on me in, uh, in my office and I was crying out to the Lord praying. Well, a little bit later, I was going to go tell her something, and I opened the door, and she's on her knees by her bedside, crying out to the Lord, praying. And I thought, that's a beautiful sight for me to see. Amen? And I just want to encourage every one of you, don't just go through the motions. Have a personal relationship with the Lord where you're seeking Him because we don't have the strength in ourselves to obey. Right? Remember, that's, I quote these two verses together all the time because I think they're such great intertextual complementary verses. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. We need to let that sink into our brains. You can't go out and say, I'm going to be obedient and just do it. But he also says, right, that through him, through Jesus, we could do what? All All things. Everything the Lord commands to do. Where he guides, he provides. He'll give you the strength. But you need to cry out to him and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Give me strength to obey your will and do your work. Amen? Amen. So I want to encourage you guys, man. Praise God. There is a remnant throughout the earth. And I don't know how many millions strong. I just trip out when we go to the different blessed hopes that are springing up. The, the different home uh, the, around the country and so forth. And churches, I'm like, there's a lot of people. I, I leave here, and there's a lot just like, like this people in this fellowship. A lot of people excited about love Jesus, same doctrine. And I, it shows you right doctrine leads to right living. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong living because they're living holy lives. They're seeking him. Right? They know the times to a degree. They're, they're growing. And there's no, one's, no church, no assembly is perfect, but... It's, it's just neat running into the people that are just like the brothers and sisters here. And that's not very normal, okay? Just saying, you know, because we've been in a lot of fellowships where people say, man, I'm trying to find a fellowship where the, the, the Word of God is strongly taught and where the people just love each other. I can sense God's Holy Spirit when I come amongst the brothers and sisters of Blessed Hope. Praise God. And that's because there's a lot of people here that are surrendering to the Lord and love Him. And you can sense that love. The fruit of His Spirit is what? Love, peace, joy, love. You see that in a lot of believers here. But God's doing that throughout the earth, not only in people, not just in our fellowship and churches affiliated with us, but all over the place, long before we were here. Amen? Amen. We're just, we've just come to Jesus, and we're just saying, hey, let's follow Jesus in sincerity and truth. But one thing we emphasize is obedience. Amen? Not turning grace into a license, but teaching the true grace of God. Paul said of the true grace of God that his grace teaches us. He said that his, the God's grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. Amen? It teaches us, that's what Titus chapter 2 says, to deny ungodliness, right? To live soberly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope of his glorious appearing, amen? Of a great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to live for him. But I want to encourage you, some of you might be listening and say, man, Joe, I have not been doing right. I'm here tonight or I'm watching by way of podcast or listening by way of YouTube later or whatever it is. And you're like, man, I've been in rebellion. I, I know I've been disobedient, rebelling against the Lord. Well, he's also got a mercy he gave the Amalekites 400 years. You don't have 400 years, though. You might just have four minutes, four days, four years. I don't know. But I know the Lord loves you. I know he cares enough about you to have you hearing this right now. And he wants you to repent. He wants you to ask him for mercy. And he'll forgive you. Because the ultimate sacrifice 
that trumps all your disobedience is the sacrifice of Christ who gave himself to die for all of our sins. Amen. And it says that he, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait though. Now is the time. And that he's merciful. He's full of love. He's full of grace. That in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says he is not willing that any would perish, but that what? All should come to repentance. So make sure you repent now. He has open arms for you. Because guess what? You don't want to be like Agag or that wicked servant that was cut up in pieces. Amen. You want to know the Lord. Amen. And have eternal life. And if you're trusting the Lord and you're following him, you've fallen short, you know, but you're still following the Lord. You know, when you fall short, sometimes people think erroneously it's not right that if they fall short, oh, they've lost their salvation. That's the other extreme. We have a security in Christ. We are right now, if you are trusting Jesus, you have eternal security in Christ, okay? We're, we're saved by grace through faith, amen? We are secure by grace through faith. We, the Bible says we're kept by the power of God through faith, 1 Peter 1.5. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. We have security. Well, what if I fell short yesterday, but I'm, I, I repent? I'm, well, that's like falling short. That's like falling out. I just in a jet plane. You fall down on a jet plane, you're still in the plane, Amen? but get back up, okay, and keep walking. Because, you know, you can. God has an escape hatch. He'll let you say, I don't want to be here. But you keep following him, amen? amen? And let sin be the exception in your life, amen? And if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to seek him now. And it, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, amen? If you know Jesus, just continue to remember Obedience is better than sacrifice, amen? It blesses God's heart, blesses your heart, it blesses your family if you have family, blesses the people around you, it blesses your church family because if you're a Christian, you have a big family, right? And also, you'll be rewarded for it here as far as being blessed and in the kingdom to come, amen? Let's all please stand. Praise God to obey is better than sacrifice, amen? Father God, we thank you for our brothers and sisters here. We pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you or anyone listening,